happening, you can uh, open up to John chapter 12, please. The children are dismissed to Children's Church. Children are dismissed to Children's Church today. John chapter 12. That's page 845, I believe, in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, those ESV translation Bibles. The Bible will also be on the screen for you if you like, but I do always encourage you to open up your Bibles too. There's nothing better than having that physical memory of where to find God's Word, and especially as you, you just really are worked upon by the Lord, you've got it in front of you in your own Bible to highlight, to underline, to circle, to make little notes and memos, maybe even to doodle a little smiley face or a sad face. You can't do that on the screen here. You could, but... That we might get a little frustrated with. <laughs> I encourage you to mark up your Bible. I, I definitely mark up mine. Um, thank you for opening. I'm so grateful to see some different faces in this church today, some faces who are back from maybe snowbirds, and as the snow starts melting, they're getting back home to Bloomer and the Bloomer area, or maybe people have just been missing due to the ice and snow in general, and they're able to get back. I hope you're, you're noticing who's here and who's not, so that you can give them a call, check up on them when they're missing. I know I need to do that more, and I'm guessing all of us do. If you are new here completely, I welcome you. Thank you for coming and worshiping God with us. That's what this is truly about. We have the great blessing of learning more about God and being sanctified. That's a fancy word to be, to be made, made more like Christ, made more in his image. Every day we're being formed more into the image of his son. But ultimately, we are here to worship God. And we can do that in all parts of our lives, whether it be singing or reading the word or preaching the word or putting it into our life or whether it be working, even working in our yards, our gardens. What a great dream, right? Hopefully sooner or later we'll be working in our yards. Um, even that can be done for the glory of God. Amen? Thank you for responding. Let's start with reading from John 12, verse 1 to 11. Today we'll read about a dinner with friends. A great dinner with friends, and really a dinner with friends and an imposter, a great betrayer of Christ. And we start to see his true nature come out, but we also see the true nature of a few others as well. Let's read John 12, 1 through 11. Please follow along on screen or in your Bibles as I read. Six days before the Passover, that's important, we'll talk about that later. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. Go figure, Martha was found serving. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. This fact in itself is an amazing feat. Lazarus was just dead before this. Jesus had raised him back to life, and now he's reclining at the table with Jesus, alive, and at a dinner which they were throwing, almost like a celebration for what Jesus had done. Uh, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of perfume, but Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, off at a separate location, it's as if John was starting this by discussing the dinner scene, what is happening here. And now John starts talking about what's happening out of this scene of the dinner, the house, the plot to kill Lazarus and the plot to kill Jesus start to come together. And he says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the count of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away 
in believing in Jesus. As I started reading this, as I started meditating upon these holy words this week, I thought about first reactions. First reactions, first responses, and the emotions, the actions which typically follow those first reactions. I want you to think about this for a moment in your own everyday lives. We have many first reactions, first responses, thoughts, and emotions, and actions which then follow of many things. I see some of you in here who I know love reading books. And maybe you've even been part of a book club before, or a Sunday school before, where you read this book, and as you get done with a chapter, or as you get done with that book entirely, you then meet together to talk about what were your first reactions after reading chapter two? What were your first responses, your thoughts which came to mind, the emotions which came to mind as you finished reading that great book? Or maybe you didn't think about it to be a great book at all, and you share those opinions We all have first reactions to things, emotions, and thoughts. And then those kind of form the actions which then come from there. And it may be actions of thoughts, actions of speech, or actions of physically moving on. Maybe you write a review or you film video a review of how great or how terrible something was or your reaction to how it's going to change you, change you. I think of myself of, I like music. A lot of you like music. And I think of YouTube videos that are out there now that as you search for a song that maybe you want to listen to, maybe it's a different rendition by a different band. And so many times now they have these reaction videos where it shows a person on one side, maybe it's Mr. Brian Lundgren listening to this song and it shows him as the artist is playing the song, hmm, huh, I kind of like that. Oh, he could have done better on them drums right there. Hmm, wow, that's a powerful lyric. And he really showed it in his, in his facial expressions. There's many reactions, and that can come down to music too. Or I'm also a movie guy. I love movies. I think of so many times when we get done with a movie, the first thing we do, and I think of last year seeing a movie with Pastor Chuck there, and we turn to each other and we say, what did you think about that movie? What was your first reaction to the, to the movie? Well, we can see some mighty, powerful reactions to today's scripture as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the first reactions that several people had to this dinner scene. We start with Jesus, but then we'll move forward with looking to Martha and to Mary and to Judas and to the crowds and to the chief priest as well. You see, we see the first reactions of the love of Jesus towards friends. Jesus loves his friends greatly. And then from here, we see emotions, reactions, which follow from others, such as humility and service, adoration and worship, greed and curiosity, and finally, hatred. Yes, all of these reactions, all these emotions which follow, all these actions and first responses are found in this one little scene. This dinner scene is filled with first reactions. Let's first discuss John 12, 1. You see, Jesus shows love towards his friend. We're going to start with looking at Jesus himself, and this is powerful. In fact, as I very much, as I just started reading the scene of John chapter 12, verse 1, I was baffled by what I found. We discussed it in our staff meeting as well, and I, I ended up hearing by them about how it kind of characterized their entire week as well. We also went a little deeper and discussed, and this is important, I want to mention it. John has spent almost the entire half of the book of John so far focusing on Jesus' entire life up to this point. And now as we move into John chapter 12, the entire next half of the book almost is all devoted towards one week. Just about one week, because that one week is important. This one week is the ending days of Jesus Christ. What did he do as he went towards that cross? And then especially what happened that final scene as he was crucified? And then don't stop there. What happened after the crucifixion? Now, obviously all of you should know Jesus in his final week was crucified. He was tortured. He was mocked. He was placed upon a tree, a cross. 
And even on that cross, these people who once claimed to believe, who once followed him in multitudes, would mock him, curse him. He would die, but he would raise again. Let me read this. John 12, verse 1. I want to read it once more, at least a section of it, as we work through it throughout this message this morning. John 12, verse 1 starts with this truth, this reality of what is happening, where he's going. And it says this, six days before the Passover. And note, this would be the final Passover for Jesus here on earth. It wasn't just another Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And why? They gave him a dinner. They gave him a dinner. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And then Mary, therefore, at some point in time, took a pound of this expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I love how John just sets up the scene here. I feel like as I go into this, I can picture the plates. I can picture Martha walking in serving. I can picture Mary at Jesus' feet and just adoring who is before her. I can picture then eventually Mary just feeling this spontaneous need to run and grab this very expensive perfume and pouring it over Jesus' feet, wiping it with her hair. And then I feel like even as it says, boy, God's word is fantastic. It's amazing. It's great. How it's so powerful. That it even gives us this detail that the fragrance filled the house. So now we can picture ourselves, not just picturing the scene, but we can picture ourselves like a fly on the wall that day on that house. We can picture ourselves walking in and smelling the great fragrant perfume that Mary was devoting selflessly devoting to Christ, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. My point, my first point is looking to Jesus. Jesus shows love towards friends, just in giving them his very presence in this fellowship at this dinner. And again, this is what baffled me as I just read that verse and I focused upon it. And then Chuck and Jessica came in for staff meeting. I told them about it and we talked about it. And I said, this just left me speechless. My mouth was almost hanging open in some ways, not my thoughts though, as I had some powerful convicting thoughts that I thought six days before the Passover, six days before Jesus would be being led to the crucifixion. And what did he do? He took time to show his loving presence to his friends. All the things in life which we allow to bring us down. All the things in life that allow, allow, we allow to pull us away from friends or to pull us away from Christ. I'll get back to you. I'm, I'm just too busy right now for this, for church or for Bible studies or for prayer groups. I'm too busy to meet with my friends. And yet Jesus, six days before being led to the crucifixion, where is he found but reclining his feet at the table with his friends. Now, do not miss the fact that even this was going to be used to lead into God's sovereign plan. It wasn't just some merely di mere dinner. Even in this dinner, God would use it to lead into his plan. And then also, don't miss the fact that Jesus had to go to them for this dinner. They didn't come to him. Jesus came to them. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus came into Bethany where Lazarus was and had dinner. Bethany, just about two miles, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, just outside of where, where they would arrest him and put him on, to, in, on this trial, this fake trial, and then eventually kill him. Jesus went into their own backyard for this mill. Jesus, with his betrayal, crucifixion, death coming in just six days, his first reaction was to go have dinner with friends. 
Also notice this very dinner. I hope I'm not pushing this fact too much, but I'm just amazed by this point of scripture. This dinner also included not just friends, but a false friend who would betray him. He would hand him over to the chief priest, Judas. And we see Judas's true nature come into play here. We also see Jesus's true nature of love. We also see Jesus's true nature of being the son of God who's come to fulfill prophecy, the Messiah. And he wouldn't let any betrayer or any fear or any sadness or anything else get in the way. He would do what needed to be done. You know, it brings about a great question for us in our life, an application. You see, Jesus made time for what was important to him. And one of these things was friendships. What do we make time for in our lives? Do we make time for friendships? Do we make time for Jesus? Do we wait till they come to us? Do we wait for Jesus to come for us? Or do we go to them? Do we go to him? Jesus could have been selfish. Yet, and rightfully so, he could have cared just about himself and what he knew to be coming. All would understand He's about to be crucified. Lord, worry about yourself. And we have people tell us that too as they say, you're just so busy right now. Just worry about yourself. We'll get together sometime in the future. It's okay. People would have understood. (laughs) And even if they didn't, this is the son of God. He can do what he wants and what he wanted still was to spend time with those closest to him. Humbly he sits, humbly he eats, humbly he allows Martha and Mary to serve him. Feet reclined at the table. To me, even that section speaks great strength as I think about ourselves where maybe we do make that time to meet with somebody, but every step of the way, we're anxious Our feet are moving, our our hands. All right, all right, is dinner coming yet? I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I gotta go, I got things to do, I got things to do. Jesus was reclining at the table with his friends, with Lazarus. Let's move forward and talk about Martha and to discuss this dinner in general too as we look to the dinner scene further. You see, Martha, in Martha we see humble love and service. So I put humbly love and serve as we think about reactions. The first reaction of Martha was to humbly love and serve Christ. Martha loves Jesus. Martha loves that Jesus cared for them and for Lazarus so much and for God's will and glory that Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. Who wouldn't be loving Jesus after this? She loves him so greatly that she throws a dinner for him. And this dinner in many ways is to celebrate Jesus and what he has done. Before we move forward, let's look to the scene at this dinner in this home around the table as we picture the table. Most say you could have seen anywhere from maybe 15, 16, 17, or 18 people. As we think at least of the dinner including what we just know here, Jesus, Lazarus, Mary... Can't hold that finger up too well. Mary, Martha, Judas, this much is clearer from John, but then also comparing and adding cues from this scripture along with the parallel um, stories in Mark and Matthew. We also know that the other 12 apostles, Jesus' close disciples, should have or could have also been there. The disciples, the apostles, Judas, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Jesus, Simon, the leper, whose house this most likely belonged to, if you look to the other scriptures, was once there. I should say a once leper, as Jesus would have healed him, or they probably wouldn't even be in the scene to be so close to him. I wrote down in my notes, and to continue that thought, oh, to be a fly on the wall of this house at this mill. One of, we know it's not Jesus' final meal, 
with his close apostles and friends, but one of Jesus's final meals. Oh, to be a fly on the wall, to hear the speech that was going on there, to see the sights of Jesus reclining with his friends. Let me read to you what one pastor and Bible college professor, maybe Chuck knows this guy, I read he's from Moody Bible, no, Trinity, Eldon might know him. Pastor by the name of uh, Kent Hughes, commentator, college professor there, Kent Hughes said this, can you imagine the conversation around the table? Simon the leper, or rather Simon the ex-leper and Lazarus reclining together at a meal. And of course, Jesus and the 12 are there as well. He says, I can imagine Simon saying, you cannot imagine what it was like. I saw the scabs fall off my hand. My fingers grew back in place as I looked upon my hands. I reached up and my eyebrows were there again and I was healed. Then perhaps Lazarus interrupted excitingly saying, Simon, that was nothing. I mean, that must have been great, but let me tell you what it was like for me. Hey, I died. And I stand before you now today. But not just that, listen on, he says, Simon, that was nothing. I mean, that must have been great, but let me tell you what it was like for me. I died. I was gone four earth days. I went to paradise. Boy, I saw the biggies. I saw Abraham, Moses, David. But I'll tell you the most amazing thing I saw was when I came back and walked out of that tomb and saw Jesus. Is that powerful? Again, I say to be a fly on the wall of that house, to hear what is being said, to see what is, being, being, what is happening in front of it. Again, six days before his death, Jesus reclined at a table and fellowshiped with his friends, Mary, Martha, Simon, Lazarus, Judas, his apostles, his disciples. Let's continue to look to this. The first reactions, the first thoughts and actions of those present at this great meal. We first see Martha's first reaction to Jesus' loving presence at this meal. And it is to humbly love and serve. And this was quite possibly not even her own home. And yet we see her serving. Now, maybe I should offer more. But generally, when I walk into somebody's house, James can... Uh, can say this, he was gracious enough to have my family over for dinner last week after church, and I just enjoyed sitting down. James, you were a wonderful, humble servant, and, and you cooked for us, and Debbie, you entertained us, and the puppy, too, was great entertainment also. But I just enjoyed being there in that house that was not mine and being served. Well, Mary, this wasn't Martha and Mary. Martha, this wasn't her home, but she served Humbly serve these men. And some might say, well, pastor, that's just because that's what was typical in this day and age. The women served the men. But I think it's more than that. I think we can see the very characteristics of Martha in the other scriptures as well, that she loved to serve. She did what she loved the most. She did what she was passionate about the most. She gave that to Jesus. There's an application there I didn't write down, and that's for us. What are you passionate about, and how can you use it to worship Christ? How can you use it to glorify him? How can you use it to tell people about Jesus and to disciple them? Let's continue. You see, this is her God-given character, her personality, and I, I, I truly believe she finds joy in doing this. And in doing this, she also knows the joy it will bring to her Jesus. This in itself may be a humble act of love and service, but it is also Martha's own act of worship. Do not miss that. Your service to God's people and especially to God himself is an act of worship. Worship is more than just singing. It's more than just playing instruments. And I love how well these, these people we have who come up here every Sunday and do this for us. I love how well they, they worship God with their instruments and their voices. But we can worship God in so many other ways as well. Let's read on. Martha, to do this, was selfless. She wasn't doing it. 
for her own good. She was doing it as her own act of worship to serve and to love Jesus. Jesus, the one who scripture tells us in Mark 10, 45 and other scriptures says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve us, to give his life up for the many as a ransom for the many. Jesus was served by Martha. When so many other people, they weren't serving Christ. So many other people followed him, but to see what Jesus could give them. Mary gave him herself. Another application, this one I had wrote down says, what do we serve to Jesus? Do we serve Jesus at all? How often do we serve Jesus? Moving forward, we see Mary in her loving adoration and worship. John 12, 3 and the parallel accounts of this in Matthew and Mark tells us that while Martha was serving, Mary was adoring She was worshiping him. She was by his side, apparently, because she couldn't just break open this perfume and pour it all over Jesus' feet from the kitchen. At least that is my guitar. I'm just going to leave that there and hope I don't step on it. John 12, 3 says of Mary that Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This was a selfless act of sacrificial worship and one which I wrote down is extravagant. It's an extravagant act of worship. She offers what I believe to be the best and the most valuable thing she had in her home with her at that moment. The best thing she could offer to him. And I truly think this was a spontaneous, selfless, extravagant act of which she probably did not plan. She just felt led to do. Also, please note, this was not just expensive in the way of us going to Johnny's Italian Steakhouse on a Friday night with our spouse. This was not just expensive in the way of something that we'd save up for for a week or two. This is said to be a Roman pound, roughly 12 ounces of an extremely rare fragrance, said to be worth 300 denarii, which had an approximate value of one year's worth of wages. One year. And she pours it out for Jesus. This indeed was an extravagant act of worship. It was selfless and it was a sacrifice in many ways, though, not just financial. Let me talk about that for a moment. It was selfless, an extravagant act of worship, not just financially. As we think about where did this come from? Why would she have a bottle of perfume worth an entire year's worth of wages? Do any of you ladies have that? Are you willing to admit it if you did with maybe your husband next to you? (laughs) Men, I'm going to put in my terms. Do any of us have any guns or fishing rods or anything for our hobbies? That Okay, I can't talk about Butch's old race cars. They're probably worth over a year's worth of wages. Most of us don't have something worth this much, and we're not carrying it with us to just pour out like that to Jesus. This was a selfless act, for this might have been her inheritance, It might have been her dowry for marriage. I'll let you explore that yourself after church because I can't explain it all here. But it might have been her inheritance. It might have been her own dowry for her marriage, future marriage, which means this could have been something which set her back from marriage in this time, day and age. Or it could have been her very own oils for her own future burial. Yet selflessly, she uses it for Jesus. More still about how this was selfless, how this was a sacrifice. Let's think about the position she puts herself in, especially of a woman, as a woman in that day and age. One, she was in the room with the men instead of being in the background with Martha serving. In this day and age, you did not find the women in the same room reclining at the table with the men. And I'm not saying that 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 that, that was right by any means. I, I annoy my wife because I often follow around everywhere in the house. Even when she's not beside me, I go find her. Maybe some of you are the same way. Now I know why she's always telling me to go fishing. (laughs) Number two, she lets her hair down in public. 
This was a huge no-no for women of this day. Number two, she touches Jesus' feet, which would be a huge position of, of being degraded or lowliness. Yet this act was very called for and needed in this day and time, but they would generally save it for the lowliest of low servants to do. But she touches Jesus' feet without even thinking about what others would think. Number four, finally, she humbles herself even more selflessly, sacrificially by wiping Jesus' feet, not with a cloth and not just by pouring out the perfume, but with her hair. Think about what this would require. Unless your hair is super long, you're not doing that standing up. Unless your hair is at least moderately long, you're probably not even doing it from your knees. You're probably having to put your face to the feet of the person that you're wiping with your hair as you wipe their feet clean. That was the position she placed herself in an act of selfless, sacrificial worship to Jesus. Let's think about that one step further. You see the clinging floors in front of you. Thank you, Shania. She washes, she, she mops, sweeps the floors, you know. She takes care of this place better than I ever do. Their floors didn't look like this. You see your feet are nicely clean. You probably took a shower today or yesterday, I hope, and you've got shoes and socks on. These people wore sandals. If they were blessed enough to have sandals, some of them ran around barefoot in sandy, muddy, dirty streets with camels and donkeys and horses and livestock. See the lions back there. They've got goats, right? How nasty is it to follow a goat barefooted? Yeah, she's looking like, "Uh uh-uh, no. Mary puts her face to that. Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. What an act of worship. And yet then we see what follows is Judas. Judas, Jesus recognizes Mary's act of worship as being righteous, right? But Judas, he tries to point out wrongfulness in it. But before we move to Judas, I want to mention that Mary's worship and anointing of Jesus with this oil helps symbolize his coming death. And she may or may not have fully had realized what she is doing here. But even in what she's doing, she's in essence symbolizing Jesus' body, which is going to be buried in just mere days, and she is preparing that body for burial. And even in doing this heartfelt, selfless, sacrificial act, she is being used by God's sovereign will to prepare his son to fulfill prophecy. Moving forward now, Mary's act of worship may have been misunderstood by some, but it was not meant for them. Her worship was meant for Jesus. How do we imitate Mary's costly and selfish devotion to Jesus ourselves? So often we fail to show worship like this because we're too afraid of how we'll be judged. We're too afraid of what people think, what people will say, how they talk behind our back. And I wrote down for you on the screen here, those who love and worship Jesus may fully expect to be judged wrongfully for doing so. But this must not discourage them, us, from pouring out their lives, our lives in loving adoration for the one, Jesus who died for them, who died for us. Let's now look to the reactions of Judas as we move forward. Judas was there. This much we know from the scriptures tell us so. Judas's actions are opposite of everything we've discussed thus far. It's as opposite as light is from darkness, as night is from day, as evil is from good. Lazarus may have been there with Jesus, reclining at the table, but he would soon betray Jesus his so-called friend. And even here, we begin to see the selfishness come through. Judas's first reaction we read of here is greed. Judas equals greed. That's his first reaction. That's his emotions. That's the actions which follow after seeing what Mary is doing, what Martha is doing. Listen as I read once more. John 12, 4 to 8 says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, I love that John gives us all these extra details, said, 
why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. At first glance, it may seem like Judas was sincere and was concerned for the poor, but with John's enlightening us and the continued reading of this word, we know that it's far from the truth. We see a very different purpose in Judas's statements, and in, in John's statements about Judas, we see greed. Again, Judas was revealing his true nature, just like Mary's first reactions show us her true nature. Martha, her first reactions to Jesus show us her true nature. Jesus' first reaction six days before to have dinner with his friends shows us his true nature, his love for his people. We see Judas's true nature here is he is a thief and he is filled with greed. He did not just care about the poor, or at least not nearly as much as what it seems. He's thinking more about the value of what she is dumping all over the floor. He's probably thinking about how if you only would have given that to the poor, I could have then collected my portion for the money bag and then taken a little bit out and lined my pockets. That would have felt good. Apparently, Judas, we know, was a thief, for John tells us of how he's stealing from the money bag from Jesus. And as I read this, I thought about it more, and I thought, I'm sure Jesus had to have known about this, but he wasn't handling it now. And I thought, I'm sure Jesus knew of this. We do not know why it was not allowed to happen, except possibly for the fact that Jesus knew that this would all eventually lead to his betrayal and Judas getting what, he, what was coming to him. And then furthermore, all this would lead to God's sovereign plan to come to be. All this would lead to God's prophecy and the Messiah coming to be, which would also lead to our eventual redemption, our forgiveness from sin. But still notice, Jesus still does rebuke Judas. He doesn't just ignore the wrongfulness here. He encourages rightfulness of Mary. Notice Jesus' reaction to Judas is rebuke. And in this rebuke, we must have a few clarifications. For I want you to see, Jesus is not saying to not care for those in need. We know from Scripture, we are to care for those in need. We are to love others and care for them greatly. What he is saying, though, is this. Do not miss this. Listen clearly. In our service to those in need, Jesus should never be neglected. In our service to those in need, Jesus should never be neglected. In some ways, he's telling them and us to get our priorities straight. Here in the scripture, Jesus is physically present with them and soon would, would depart and this is addressed. Jesus first, always. I'm here now. I won't always be here physically with you. And this is doing what is right for here soon. I will be dying and buried. But someday I won't be here. But I also apply it to us today too. How often we get so busy. And by sometimes so good and wholesome of things helping family and friends or other things in life. And self-justifiedly, we say, I'm doing what's good. But it still gets in the way of Jesus. Jesus first, always. Jesus first, always. Here, the service and worship to the Lord should not be replaced by anything else. No matter how good and self-justified it may be or seem. We need to give Jesus what is his. Serve him, worship him, give him everything you have. And finally, before closing with applications and final thoughts, we need to address two more crowds, two more first reactions. And these ones are quick. I'm not going deeply into them. John 12, 9 to 11 says this. 
When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, that's the second group here. We have the large crowds, we have the chief priests. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. In this, I said, we see two more groups of people. We see two more first reactions, the crowds and the chief priests. The crowds, curiosity. The priests, hatred. Hatred. John is now changing the direction. He's now not talking about what's happening inside, but what's happening outside. The crowds have learned that Jesus is is right outside the city and they're gonna go find him. They're curious, they're intrigued, but they're not so much curious and intrigued by Jesus being the son of God and his divinity and wanting to be in his great presence. They're intrigued because what Jesus had done. And they're not even only intrigued and curious because of Jesus, but because of Lazarus. This once dead man now walking. They wanted to see this freak of nature. This wasn't an everyday occurrence. What are you talking about? That man was dead Martha and Mary were afraid of Jesus going into this tomb because of how bad it would smell. You're saying he's alive again? The crowds were curious, but not with a good face of curiosity to see Jesus, the son of God, the fulfillment of prophecy, the Messiah coming to life. They were curious to see a spectacle of entertainment. And... I truly believe these crowds, although they claim to believe, we will see here in a short few days their lack of belief as they yelled, crucify him, crucify him, and then went to the tree. He went to the tree and they followed to mock him all the way up until his death. But then Sunday is coming, isn't it? Isn't that what we're going to be celebrating here in just a few short weeks with Easter? And with that Sunday is coming, well, let's not get too far. Let's think about when Jesus dies upon that cross and even the guards say, surely this was the son of God. They would all come to know one way or another, just like all people today and in the future also, will come to know Jesus is Lord. Next, we have the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees. These people, they're filled with hatred, hatred for Jesus. They want to see this plot come to be. They want to see Jesus dead. And now they hear that Jesus is close by, but they also hear that Lazarus is there too. And now they want to kill him as well. Why? Because Lazarus is proof that Jesus' claims are true. People still come to see Jesus today. Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, crowds, people who are curious, people who hate Jesus even. And praise the Lord that they come to him out of curiosity and even hate, for God can turn and soften the hearts of even the greatest haters of Christ. But I pray that you would all join me in praying for this as well, that God would soften hearts and they would see the forgiveness and the redemption and the love they can find in Christ. Reactions. You know, with sermons, they often say that you want to make sure you land the plane. And in this, I put that this is where I'm putting the landing gear down. Reactions. There are many reactions to see in the Bible. There's many reactions to see in our own lives. What are your reactions? How do you respond to Jesus? Those who are in Satan's kingdom hate those that are in God's kingdom. This is a truth. This is their reaction, and it always will be their reaction, is to try and bring God's people down. You see, everything we stand for, everything that we are with being new in him, new in Christ, is against what they stand for. And it just gets in the way of their ultimate plan, which is to take glory away from God. Jesus warned all of his followers of this in his words, saying that there will be tribulation and there will be hatred for his sake. But we also can remember that because he has overcome the world, we can rejoice even in the midst of great persecution, struggles, and pains, and troubles. So in this day, 
And in this way, I say, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. Serve and worship Jesus. And remember the great promises we have, such as John 5, 24, which reminds us of a great hope we have in Jesus and says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into a glorious life with him. We need not fear. For even as Austin shared in that scripture this morning, even when the depths of the depths and the waves are crashing over us, we can remember that he is there and he has overcome it all. I hope that all of you understand this. And if you don't understand just how much Jesus is there for you, how much he loves you, how much he desires a relationship with you, how much he desires for you to turn from sin and follow him as Lord of your life, I hope you understand this. But if you don't, I hope that you'd come find me or someone else in this church and ask for help. God is there to help you. He sent Jesus. And Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit to continue to help you today. As we close, I bring it back to that idea. What is your personal response to Jesus? We see many responses in God's word. What is your personal response to Jesus? I pray no one in here would be a Judas. But I I pray we would be like Mary and Martha and the other apostles of Christ, which serve and worship him. And even though, like Jesus' other apostles, they may turn away at times... They still recognize the great sinfulness in that and they turn back to him. Maybe you feel rebuked by God today because you know you haven't been following Jesus as you should. I tell you, turn back to him. Confess with your mouth again, not because you need to, but just as reverence that Jesus, you are Lord and I am yours. I am yours. And then finally, as we wrap up, I promise. I bring it back to Jesus. Jesus is where we started. Jesus is where we end. Jesus' first reaction six days before the Passover was to spend time with those close to him. What are your first reactions in this life? Are you spending time with those close to you? Are you making time for brothers and sisters in Christ, especially Because brothers and sisters in Christ encourage you and lift you up and help you and say hard, challenging, convicting things too, all of what is needed. But then finally, bring it back to Jesus. Do we make time for him? Because we shouldn't wait for him to come knocking on our door to tell us of how wrongful we've been. We know the Holy Spirit's within us, convicting us and telling us, make time for Jesus. Thank you. I'll close in prayer and song now. And we'll reconvene in about 15 minutes at 11 o'clock for our annual business meeting. Thank you for joining us in worship. Thank you for joining us and watching me knock the guitar down. You might want to retune that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your first reactions, which we see. And we know that all of these things, every moment of your life came to enact God's sovereign plan and what we needed to come to be. But we thank you for also seeing how these can apply to our lives, not just then, but today and the future as well. May we worship like Mary. May we serve and worship like Martha. May we be more more selfless and sacrificial in all we do. May we not be greedy thieves like Judas. And I think of that because we may not be reaching into the money bags and stealing in that way, but we still, we still do steal from you because we don't give you all the worship which you're due. So many times we worship so many things of this world in your place. So many times we fail to thank you for the many blessings you bestow upon us. May you receive all the honor, all the glory, all the praise you are due. And may we continue with more, more with each and every single day to ask and to seek and to look for the many God sightings in our life and how you continue to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We love you. And may we serve you and worship you now. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand. Please stand.
Joining us in worship today. Thank you, thank you. If I used you in my sermon today, I must say that was not in my notes, and I hope you see it was all in good um, thought as well. Hopefully, you join us for our business meeting in about 15 minutes. Take some time to fellowship, stick around, and we'll reconvene here soon at 11. God bless you. Have a great day.